dear friends, this episode is being released in March 2022. At this time, the prospect of war, even war on a global scale, is very much within the Western consciousness once again, due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Countless men, women and children are already experiencing the brutality of war, while many nations remain horrified, confused and conflicted as to what to do and our place in it all. This episode doesn't pretend to provide any simple answers to these questions, but instead offers reflections from a man who first-handedly experienced the reality of a world at war. Given J.R.R. Tolkien's clear legacy and the ongoing relevance of his Lord of the Rings in the post-war years, I do believe there is an example this soldier-turned-author can offer us during such times, even while we all pray fervently for the victims, perpetrators and the wisdom of our leaders. You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. So we've covered bits of Tolkien's biography in previous episodes of The Myth Pilgrim, so I will try not to cover too much of the same ground today. Rather, I want to home in on Tolkien's own experiences of being a soldier in the trenches of World War I, what he saw there and how it affected him. Flowing from this, I want to reflect upon how his journey could speak into how we might carry ourselves today in our situation, we who live in the shadow of war. So even before he set off to the trenches, Tolkien was a man not unfamiliar with suffering. Born in South Africa, he lost his father at a very young age, which forced his mother to uproot himself and his brother Hilary to England, where they stayed on a property called Bag End. At 11, he loses his mother too, but not before she herself was ostracised from her own family for choosing to be a Catholic, a move that would impress upon Tolkien's faith for the rest of his life. He and his brother were then raised by an Oratorian priest, Father Francis Xavier Morgan, who remained a guardian and model for Tolkien during his teens. Though he falls in love with his future wife Edith at the age of 16, Father Francis forbade them from ever being together until Tolkien was 21, in fear that she would distract this brilliant young potential academic from fulfilling his potential. Painfully and yet respectfully, Tolkien agrees but literally the day he turns 21, he writes to Edith and proposes, and she herself breaks off a previous engagement to be with Tolkien, a move that would have cost her greatly. But yes, in 1914, two months after they are married, Tolkien is sent off to the fronts of World War I, leaving his beloved behind. A significant detail to mention here about Tolkien was his unshakable friendship with three other young men from his university. Their names were Chris Wiseman, Robert Gilson and Geoffrey Smith. Even before the famous Inklings group was formed later in Tolkien's life, these four young men had formed a literary club called the TCBS, or the Tea Club and Barovian Society. And like the four hobbits, 
These four young men were like family and delighted in each other's companies, sharing a mutual interest in ancient languages, philosophy, literature, natural sciences, mathematics, arts, and music. They had great dreams together about the future and their ambitions. Although they went to different universities, all four joined the army around the same time as Tolkien, determined to do their part for England during such dark times. Due to his natural love for languages, Tolkien was trained in the reconnaissance unit and used signals in Morse code to communicate vital information between the members of his battalion. After his brief training, Tolkien was sent along with his battalion into what could only be described as hell on earth, the trenches at the Battle of Somme, where the French countryside had already been decimated beyond recognition by ceaseless shelling, strewn bodies, mud, trench fever and freezing cold. On the first day alone at the Battle of Somme, 20,000 young men were massacred, 3,500 wounded and 2,000 went missing. It is still today the biggest tragedy in the British Army. Entire English villages lost all their young men in a single day. At this time, Tolkien's battalion was on the reserve trenches, but not for long, but soon he was sent to the front lines to capture a German town called Ovier, secure enemy trenches and to capture prisoners. Despite Tolkien's natural idealism, nothing could shield him from the horrors of humanity at its worst. What Tolkien experienced was absolute chaos, for World War I heralded the death of any sense of honour and glory to warfare. The machine gun and the tank and artillery meant that thousands were slaughtered indiscriminately without you ever seeing the face of your foe. This cold, mechanised warfare would be later captured in how Tolkien describes the wheels and iron fist of Mordor and Isengard. Tolkien describes the horrific scenes he witnessed around him as animalistic horror, where even the best men were reduced to carnal impulses of fear, cowardice, betrayal and brutal violence, with all rationality thrown out. He saw this incarnate evil on both sides of the trenches too, in his own side and in the enemies firing at him. Indeed, the troops who were sent to the front line didn't expect to survive the Battle of Somme, as the countless letters preserved by Tolkien and his peers represented. Tragically, two of his friends from the TCBS were in fact killed in the trenches. One, Geoffrey Smith, knowing he'd be sent by his commanders over the top in the next hour, sent the following letter to Tolkien. My dear John Ronald, I am about to go out on night patrol. My chief consolation is that if I am scuppered tonight, I am off on duty in a few minutes, there will still be left a member of the great TCBS to voice what I dreamed and what we all agreed upon. For the death of one of its members cannot, I am determined, dissolve the TCBS. Death can make us loathsome and helpless as individuals, but it cannot put an end to the immortal fall, a discovery I am going to communicate to Rob before I go off tonight. And please write it also to Christopher. May God bless you, my dear John Ronald, and may you say the things I have tried to say, long after I am no longer here to say them, if such be my lot. Yours forever, Geoffrey B. Smith. Geoffrey was killed the next day by shrapnel poisoning, and Tolkien would forever treasure this last letter of his friend long giving him the strength and inspiration to rebuild his life and to actualise their shared dream after the war was over. 
one can only wonder what effect such words would have had on the young author, who was indeed chosen amongst the TCBS to live on. Tragically, another member of the TCBS, Robert Gilson, was also killed in the trenches that year. It is forever immortalised how the young Englishmen of Gilson's battalion stayed loyal to their commanders and to one another, despite witnessing four failed waves of assault trying to capture German trenches. Such fidelity to their commanding officer was captured by Tolkien in his creation of the Fellowship of the Ring, even explicitly citing that the bond between Frodo and Sam was in fact a reflection of the bond between the English officer and his batman. As for Tolkien himself as a soldier, he soon contracted trench fever and became otherwise immobilised and unable to perform his duties properly as a British soldier. He was mercifully sent home to Birmingham to recover, where he was finally reunited with his young wife Edith, a reunion whose beauty would be captured in the later romances of Beren and Luthien, Aragon and Arwen. At this point, we will end the biographical section of Tolkien's life and reflect further upon the deeper significance of this part of his story. Not all of us will experience firsthand what it's like to be on the front lines of a world war, but there is still a wealth of wisdom we can take from a man who was. The first thing we observe from Tolkien's life is that experiencing tragedy doesn't necessarily equate to bitterness. We are never passive victims to fate, even in the worst of circumstances, because we can always still choose our response. Dr. Jordan Peterson describes how even when life seems intent to smash us to pieces, we can still choose between a tragedy and a hell. Let's explore this distinction. The young Tolkien could easily be justified in becoming bitter and vengeful towards the Germans who murdered his closest friends. He could easily lament the sinfulness of humanity and forever become pessimistic about the human condition. For many less fortunate men, shell shock, which we now call PTSD, did in fact become the long-term effect of the war, something which shaped the stories of thousands of returning soldiers. Yet by grace or by virtue, from what we know of Tolkien, trauma has never been his fate. Years later, when asked by his own son Christopher about the effects of the war on him, Tolkien writes, and I quote, I took to escapism, or really, transforming experience into another form and symbol with Morgoth and orcs and elderly, representing beauty and grace of life and artifact and so on. And it has stood me in good stead in the many hard years since, and I still draw on the conceptions then hammered out, end quote. In other words, Tolkien's pain and trauma were able to be transfigured and take on a new form through his writings, especially his writings about war. Transfigured is a deliberate word I use because it is not as though Tolkien offloaded the horrors of war in his creative work, like how some artists would choose to capture their experiences in bloody, dark and menacing paintings and songs and fiction. There is never any hint in The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit that Tolkien glorified war or bloodshed, on the contrary, he instead says something quite startling about it, and I quote, The war makes me poignantly aware of the beauty of the world. It's like, what? What does he mean by that? It might take us a bit of time to wrap our heads around such a statement, for it is indeed only something that can make proper sense through the lens of his faith. 
First, consider Tolkien's appreciation for the dignity of the soldier. He tells us that many moments in The Lord of the Rings were lifted straight from his experiences on the battlefront. For example, this passage in The Return of the King, where Tolkien describes how the peace-loving Samwise Gamgee first comes in contact with an enemy slain in battle. He writes, It was Sam's first view of a battle of men against men, and he did not like it much. He was glad that he could not see the dead face. He wondered what the man's name was and where he came from, and if he really was evil at heart, or what lies or threats had led him on the long march from his home, and if he would not really rather have stayed there in peace. In such a short passage, Tolkien reveals a few things about himself. First of all, he reminds us that there are no nameless men lying in the dirt and grime. Each one is a beloved son, a brother, a husband, someone who has a history, a childhood, has hopes and dreams, or maybe even an Edith waiting for him at home with open arms. Each man is made with the Imago Dei, the dignity of God, and our faith reminds us that evil merely corrupts what is inherently good. It cannot turn a person permanently evil, for so our faith teaches. We should still be disturbed at the news of young soldiers being possessed to do horrible things in war, but at the same time, we must not demonize them as irredeemable monsters. To cross that line would be choosing to turn tragedy into hell. For such judgment and vengeance and unforgiveness poisons a soul for years and even generations to come, robbing its victims of any chance of ever moving on. Despite what he had seen, Tolkien understood this deeply, and this redemptive possibility is captured somewhat in the reader's inevitable compassion for Smeagol, Gollum, who even though was deceived into betrayal, stealing, lying and murdering, never fully loses his dignity as a redeemable hobbit of the Shire. Another key example of Tolkien's transfiguration of his war experience is his celebration of human fellowship despite the worst of times. Despite The Lord of the Rings being a story about a world at war and the devil incarnate seeking to corrupt that world, what I love most about The Lord of the Rings is not its spotlighting warfare, but its spotlighting fellowship. Those simple acts of loyalty, courage and faithfulness individuals had for one another to whatever end. Something Tolkien of course experienced himself on the battlefront. The heart and soul of Lord of the Rings are scenes like Aragorn, Gimli and Legolas sprinting day and night without food and rest, driven by the slimmest hope of rescuing Merry and Pippin from their orkly fate. It is Elrond's army of elves arriving in the bleakest hour to stand alongside men at Helm's Deep, or Theoden's Rohirrim charging into certain death to stand alongside the fallen Minas Tirith. It is an exhausted Sam at wit's end, carrying his master Frodo up the slopes of Mount Doom. As Gandalf once remarks, Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check, but that is not what I have found. I found it is in the small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay, small acts of kindness and love. The real-life fellowship of the TCBS, that Tea Club and Barovian Society, was indeed something that continued to inspire and shape Tolkien's life after the war. 
Again, I reflect on how much his loyalty for those four young men shaped the rest of his life. I'll read here again the words of Jeffrey Smith's final letter to Tolkien. He says, The death of one of its members cannot, I am determined, dissolve the TCBS. Death can make us loathsome and helpless as individuals, but it cannot put an end to the immortal four. A discovery I am going to communicate to Rob before I go off tonight. And you write it also to Christopher. May God bless you, my dear John Ronald, and may you say the things I have tried to say long after I am no longer here to say them, if such be my lot. Yours forever, Geoffrey B. Smith. One can almost imagine the spirit of Geoffrey acting as a sort of muse and angel, watching and guiding Tolkien's hand as he ploughed away for years on creating Middle-earth. Just as Sam remarked to Frodo over and over again, a promise is a promise, Mr. Frodo. You can see how the promises of four friends outwitted even hell on earth, transcending life and even death. Fellowship defined Tolkien throughout the war and beyond. Those of you who are familiar with his later years as an Oxford professor would recall how he would soon form another famous literary fellowship called the Inklings, one which included the literary giants of Charles Williams and, of course, the great C.S. Lewis himself, whose conversion to Christianity is greatly indebted to Tolkien's own faith. And we all know the impact that had on our battered little world in the second half of the century, as it sought to rebuild itself after two world wars. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, please subscribe to it so you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you'd like to be notified by email every time a new episode is released, hop onto the website at themythpilgrim.com to register. Not a few commentators have seen the uncanny parallel between the Shire and England, especially during World War II. Lush, quiet and geographically isolated from the brewing wars in Eastern Europe, England did very much feel like a latecomer. But as we know in The Lord of the Rings, it cannot remain this way for long. How Tolkien's warning translates in our current conflict is yet unknown, but what is clear is that we cannot turn a blind eye to it, nor fail to pray for its many victims already. While most of us cannot directly influence executive decisions around the war, we can do our level best to ascertain the truth, to not turn a blind eye to it, and then to act accordingly depending on our means. Faced with such horrors, most of us, including myself, will be tempted to remain in a form of denial that such atrocities can still happen today. But perhaps we can again draw wisdom from that conversation between Frodo and Gandalf deep in the minds of Moria. Finding himself suddenly thrown into the throngs of war, Frodo collapses on a boulder and says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. I wish none of this had happened. To which Gandalf replies, So do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. Dear friends, it is no accident that you and I are alive today, present in this critical point in history. And thus, we know that God has a plan for each of us today, in the world and in our immediate circles. 
Tolkien reminds us that what we do with the time that is given to us needn't necessarily be big and epic at all. It might be big and epic, but thinking too big might actually distract us from being faithful to the little things that actually really make a difference in this world. The War of the Ring was won not only by the mighty hordes of the Rohirrim or the armies of Gondor, but more importantly, by the simple acts of courage and love of the four little hobbits. Just as the fellowship of the four friends from the TCBS forever changed the life of Tolkien and subsequently brought hope to millions of Tolkien's readers, so too our little fellowships might have just as significant as impact on our battle-scarred world. Hence, let's all do our part to discern generously with our Lord what to do with the time that He has given us.